Hello and welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood by donor conception. I'm your host Mel Johnson, the solo parenthood coach and solo mum to my five-year-old daughter. Series six of the podcast is focused on solo parenthood stories and speaking to a range of solo mums about their path to parenthood. In this episode I'm joined by Alicia aka No Need for Prince Charming. Alicia has her own podcast where she interviews Australian solo parents about their journey and experiences. And so I thought, what better way to kick off series six than with turning the tables and interviewing Alicia on her own experiences. Alicia, welcome to the Stalk and I podcast. I'm so excited to have you here as my new guest for this new season. You have your own podcast, um, No Need for Prince Charming, which you feature lots of Australian solo mums on, which is fantastic. And so you're constantly interviewing other people. So I thought it would be awesome for me to find out your story and go on the other side of the of the microphone for a change. So can we start off just by hearing a little bit about your story, you know, right back at the beginning? When did you first start thinking about solo parenthood? Uh, To be honest, it was the day my father died. I never thought that that would be a route that I'd have to go down. I was very fixated from from a very early age that success to me would be having the marriage, the kids, the white picket fence, everything like that. And so... I thought I met the man at 24 and got married at 28, bought the big house in the suburbs. Um, and then, yeah, tried to have the family. Uh, it took us quite a few years and ended up with a few rounds of IUI and then IVF. And then I was finally successful, which was fantastic, but it took a real toll on my marriage. Um, and unfortunately, my son was still born at 21 weeks. Unfortunately, two weeks after that, my husband admitted that he was having an affair and that he no longer wanted a future with me. So that was kind of two weeks of the probably least fun of my life. And then I was kind of all on my own. And it's like I had this dream that I was going to get married, have kids, have the husband, everything. And it was all blown up in my face, really. So it took me a while to work out, I guess, who I was and what I wanted. Took a long time, actually. Um. I bought my own house. I got myself set up. I kind of focused on my career again, dated a lot, slept with a lot of inappropriate men and had nothing really close to a relationship that would have a future. But I was constantly trying, always dating, kind of had the rose tinted glasses on, hoping that, you know, they could somehow work out because I was so fixated that I just wanted kids. The only thing I've ever known is that I've wanted children. I actually got to the point where I think I brainwashed myself enough to think, Rather than have kids, it might actually be more important that I just meet the right person. But yeah, had no luck in New Zealand, which is where I'm from. So in 2015, I packed it all up, sold my house, quit my job and moved to Australia. And in my mind, I was like, dead set, I will find the man of my dreams there. We'll get married. Everything will get back on track. Uh, No. (laughs) So, so I found a great job and something I'm really proud of. And I kind of threw myself into that again, did all of the dating, did all of the speed dating, did everything and still just couldn't really find anything that turned out to be sort of relationship with the future. I was even getting to the point where I was, I was with someone who I knew didn't want any more kids. He had two, and I was okay with somehow being a stepmom. Somehow that was acceptable to me. I don't know. 
then my dad got really sick and it was really sudden. Um, and I managed to get back in New Zealand in time and I was there for his last week. And then the day he passed away, something, some big light bulb just went off in my mind. I think my best friend said to me, he would have made such a good granddad and you would have made such a good mum." And I was like, yeah, I would. Do you know what? That's the only thing that actually matters. I was just about to turn 38. If I don't do it now, I'm never going to. So I made a decision that day. I'm going to do it. So the next day, while we were kind of organizing funeral arrangements and everything else, I rung my insurance company in Australia and increased my private health insurance because I knew that that would cover some of my IVF treatment. Having been through infertility, I knew that I was going to need to do that regardless with the sperm donor. There was no point doing anything else. Um, and then, yeah, moved back to Australia and gave it a few months to sort of settle in, get some of my waiting process done, um, waiting period. And then, yeah, embarked on it. I I kind of lost myself a lot when I was going through infertility with my ex-husband. It's like no real surprise that the marriage suffered as a result. So I knew that I couldn't go down into that vortex again mentally. So in my mind, I was like, I will do two rounds, one that I pay for and the second one my insurance can pay for. And if neither of those work, then it's just not meant to be. Um, and yeah, I guess that's how I started on the journey, a really long way to get to that point. Gosh, and so you have been through some you know, really challenging times there. So how long did it take you after, you know, devastatingly having a stillbirth and then on top of that, your relationship ending and finding out about that? How long did it take you to, you know, be in a position where you were ready to think, okay, well, what do I do now? I think in my mind, I was convinced. So in New Zealand, you have to be separated two years before you're divorced. I was convinced that I would be engaged by the time we went to court to get divorced. I was straight back onto it. After I lost my son, um, must have been, yeah, a week and a half later, we had sex for the first time afterwards. And the next morning, my husband said to me, I wish we'd used a condom. Whereas in my mind, I was like, yes, devastated. I lost my son. But all I want to do is get back on it and get pregnant because right. I wanted to have that family. So that's not what you wanted to hear um, at the time. It was the start of the end because the, the relationship ended a few days later. But yeah, I think I probably did not make any good decisions with any men that I got involved with in the early days and maybe not in the whole eight years <laughs> between the marriage ending and um, actually starting the path to solo motherhood. So while I thought I was doing the right thing, to try and find the other person, um, my soulmate, my whatever, I would not have made any right choices. So if the right man was there, I probably wouldn't have even noticed. I was so fixated on what I thought I wanted. And there was a lot of healing that had to be done that I don't think I realized. Yeah. I think it's so important to have these conversations because honestly, and we've laughed about this before, like it's exactly the same as my own story. Um, <laughs> I had such bad dating experiences because I was so fixated on meeting someone because I felt like there was a time scale for it. And I felt like I was going to miss out on motherhood if I didn't. And therefore I just put up with so much unacceptable stuff. so much so much that was clearly not the right person but you're almost just like clutching at straws thinking okay but I haven't got time to you know um so so I think I felt exactly the same and I think and I hope it's reassuring for other people to hear that and for us both to almost be saying that was 
ridiculous. <laughs> we were making these decisions, but now in hindsight, we can see how actually that that wasn't a great choice. Um, and I did exactly the same. So it, it it's interesting to hear. What do you think is the reason for you that you were so clear that that was what needed to happen, that you needed to meet someone? I've looked back on my childhood and trying to work that out. I don't know. Is it because I grew up in the 90s and I was surrounded by like American sitcoms with the perfect family? I don't know. My parents were not by any stretch of the imagination a perfect family. And I guess I didn't want what they had. They were married 42 odd years, but they were more best friends or companions rather than anything passionate, rather than like a, a real love story. If mum tells you the story, it's like no one else wanted her, so she married him, which is not a great way to be brought up. And I think I wanted the complete opposite. But in my mind, what mattered, which I don't know where it came from, was that I got married, I had the kids, I had the house, I had the things, I had the career, I had it all. That's what mattered. And I think mum was always a working working woman and that was very different for her generation. She's quite, quite a bit older. Um, she had me at 30, which was ancient in those times. And, you know, she went through a university and had a lot of prejudice against her because she was a female and she was so adamant that, you know, I get an education and I get a job and I should never be held back because I'm female. So that was great upbringing. But then she, we didn't have the nice, happy family life that goes with it. She was constantly working. I'm very conscious. I don't want my daughter to see me like that. But I only saw my mother for dinner times. Yeah, I don't know what it was, but I just I had to have these set things. And maybe it's just that was a, that was the only story that we heard when we were young. There were no other options. It's interesting if because you... um, what, once again, it's a, a quite a similar story because my mum had me when she was um, 30 as well. And um, I, my parents got divorced when I was young. And so the same family, it wasn't from that family situation. Although I think like you, that does have an impact because you think, well, that's not what I want. So I'm now going to be yeah. striving for some, something different. Um, but I was asked on a pod podcast right back at the beginning and I didn't know, but I've done loads and loads of reading on it now. And I do think it is that we have been so brainwashed really really subconsciously that that success is meeting the guy getting married um living happily ever after because it's all around us I don't know if you're the same as me but in my 20s I watched so many rom-coms and they they all oh, yeah. end with happily ever after is meeting the person there was no other story so you didn't have any other role models you didn't have any other people to look at that were doing it in a different way which is why I'm so passionate about sharing that you can do it in a different way and it's still great um to hopefully mean that other people aren't in the similar situation where they're making poor choices because they think it's their only option yeah I think things have changed so much from when we grew up though it wasn't an option to be doing anything like this it was either a big accident, which would have been quite frankly shunned or not talked about, or you wouldn't have probably stayed in your own town had that happened, mm. or it would be some sort of extramarital affair or something. It wasn't op an option that you could actually go and get a sperm donor and do this yourself. Mm. I interviewed someone for the podcast the other day, and she's got a 14-year-old. When she conceived her, it was actually illegal as a single woman in Victoria to use donor sperm, but she wow. just had the right connections. So it's, not, it's only really being an option 
in the last 10 or so years. So growing up, it wasn't something we could have considered to even have it as a, a viable option. You would have just been a sad spinster on the shelf that nobody wanted. And so then, yeah, you weren't successful because you didn't manage to to nail the man. So, yeah. And what about now? Where are you with it all now? Would you like to meet somebody now? Have you done any dating or is it on the back shelf? I would love to meet someone eventually. I have no idea where I'd find the time to meet anybody at the moment unless they magically knock on my door and given I live in an apartment complex, that's (laughs) unlikely, or I fall over them somehow. But even then, they would have to do a hell of a lot of work to get into my life because there's just no time. I briefly went on a couple of dating sites while I was still on maternity leave, more just to chat to people because we were also in I had um, my daughter during lockdown and I'm in Victoria, Australia. So the most lockdown um, city in the world. So, you know, couldn't leave house much. So it was good to have people to talk to. And I think I lasted half a day on one and three quarters of a day on another. I'm just surrounded by men that don't even know how to have a conversation. It's like, I answer your question. I ask a question back. That's how a conversation works. And I was just like, I cannot be bothered. So in my mind, I think probably once she's at school, and I'll meet someone through social circles, either through school or through parents that I'm making friends with. So one of the things I've done is made a really, really conscious effort to build a, vil- a local village for us. Um, we didn't, I didn't know a huge amount of people around here um, when I had her. I'm very set on staying in this area. I did look to see if I move out to the suburbs where I could get a much bigger house. But this is such a great lifestyle. I'm a block from the beach and it's got one of the best public high schools in Australia straight across the road from me. And it's just a really great um, beachside community feel, but walking distance to the city. So it's it's perfect for us. And I, yeah, because we're in lockdown, like we had a mother's group, it didn't really work out because it was all online. So now that she's at daycare, I've actually organized um, bi-monthly dinners for some of the mums. So starting to build some really great friendships through that and through play dates and that sort of thing. So, you know, eventually those might lead to, Hey, I know someone want to set you up on a blind date and it'd be fine. It's, I wouldn't, I can't imagine that I'd want to give up my very few nights of babysitting that I get to go on a date with someone who I have no idea what they could be like. None of my internet dating has turned into anything good. So wasting babysitting on that. No, thanks. I'd rather use it to go out with my girlfriends and have a proper catch up without my child there. So It becomes very challenging, (laughs) doesn't it? Because whereas before you had lots of time and you could just just say oh well yeah I'll just go out and see what it's like like time becomes so precious doesn't it when you um parents so um you're very similar to me I think in terms of you know trying to build that great support network around you um was it you I think I saw that you booked a holiday to Fiji yes I have and I'm going with um another solemn mum from Sydney that again, I feel like she's my best friend through Instagram that I've never met in real life. So she's coming along and whether some others join us or not, but I did see someone else is actually staying there just before us, but there's a few days that overlap. So, you know, hopefully a few more will join as well, but ideal world every year would do that. Some sort of overseas holiday, but we do have a camping trip coming up as well. And I went on one last year, I think there's maybe 25 to 30 solo mums and their kids in a in a campground holiday park thing. So there's a really strong community for solo mums here, but I'm also making a conscious effort for non-solo mum, just family, um, you know, yeah. playdates for Lexi, local village. 
Yeah, we, we've got exactly the same. We, we've just got a um, camping trip um, in July. And I was thinking, oh, Fiji, how can I make that happen? <laughs> That'd be amazing. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> 8th to the 13th of June. Come stay with us. Well, one, one year we'll definitely have to do that. That would be amazing. So talk to me a little bit about, um, so you then had treatment, which was successful. Um, how has being a solo parent been for you? It's been interesting. Um, so I ended up having to have two rounds of IVF and going back to what we were talking to before, when the first round didn't work, I was like, maybe it's because I'm going to meet someone instead. <laughs> of course and so then I went speed dating and everything else I was like I'll give it this time if I don't meet anyone then I'll do it um and so my next round which I knew was going to be the last round that I ever did um I managed to get two embryos and was successful with the first transfer so I did have the option of a sibling later if I chose to uh pregnancy wasn't too bad I got myself a very good obstetrician and obviously suffered not unexpectedly quite a bit of anxiety kind of along the milestones of my when I lost my son that sort of thing but she was fabulous and then seven weeks before I had her the pandemic hit um, which was interesting so I was completely by myself my mum was trying to tell me that she was coming for the first four weeks I'd never wanted her in hospital with me anyway and quite frankly I probably didn't really want her in my house either it's a small apartment and we don't get on that well um especially back then that's a couple of years ago now so in my mind I was actually kind of grateful that it happened which I know sounds terrible but it meant that it was just the two of us so um I ended up working up until the day I got induced and then that day cleaned the house put the dog in the kennels and my next neighbor dropped me at the hospital because no one could be there and then yeah got started the induction that night and the next day had her um eventually by emergency cesarean and then the hospital was fantastic. My OB was telling everyone this sob story about how my mum couldn't get there. So they gave me extra special treatment. And I just had the most blissful first five days with her. And, you know, because I had a C-section, I'd just ring the bell and they'd come and bring her to me or take her away or whatever else. So it was fabulous. And then came home and, yeah, completely by ourselves. We could only leave the house for an hour a day at that stage. Um, I did have one friend who kind of I hadn't seen for years and she got in contact just before I had her because she'd seen that I was having a child on my own and with the pandemic and everything. And she kind of broke the rules a little bit and came around a couple of times to support, which was really good and um, took me to pick up the dog from the kennel and that sort of stuff. But do you know what? It was one of the most blissful years of my life. I was um, way too A-type that I was so organized before I had her just in case I had a cesarean to make life easy so I had the freezer stocked with everything I had multiple sort of nappy caddies around my small apartment so I didn't have to move too much the first probably three months we just spent half a day in my bedroom and the other half in the lounge just doing tummy time and feeding and sleeping and I binge watched a lot of Netflix did some sewing and was just really really relaxed um we didn't we didn't really have a mother's group it didn't really pan out because it was online but I did try and make effort with the girls that were in it. Just a lot of them have moved out of the area now, but you're kind of making contact by going for a walk with them or occasional picnic when we were allowed to sit down. And yeah, absolutely loved it. My mum finally got here. She moved over. She said, you know, when I decided that I was going to do this, if you're successful, that that she'd move over because I'm an only child. We have like the tiniest family in the world. So it gives her purpose again now to be a grandma. 
so yeah, I was lucky enough to have almost 13 months off, which was, it was just bliss. I think the pandemic was actually the best thing for me. Otherwise I would have been going to swimming and music class and the library and everything else. But because we were stuck at home, she was in such a good routine for eating and sleeping and all the rest of it. Um, we had a bit of a challenge that she had hip dysplasia and ended up being in a brace and then in a spiker cast. So kind of half body cast for seven weeks, I think, and then more hip treatment and lots of x-rays and appointments and that sort of thing. But, you know, it was just one of those things you just had to deal with. And I was just grateful that it was picked up early and treated. And I think a lot of people stress and worry about it, but it was like, well, it is what it is. So you just get on and do what you need to do, really. Would you say that your relationship with your mum has improved now? Um, does she, is she a support for you or is it still challenging? It's getting there, but it's challenging. So my first week back at work, I went back full time straight away. My job is not one that you can easily do part time. And my mortgage probably dictates that I am full time as well. And she was going to have her four days a week. And I wanted her to do one day at daycare because I thought it was important that she had that socialization. Uh, the third day back at work. Yeah. The first day I had to leave work to take her to a doctor's appointment because she wasn't feeling well. The third day I had to take her for a scan that ended up me turning up and taking her to A&E instead. And then she was in hospital for over two weeks with pneumonia. Um, and then she came home and probably for three months, she couldn't really see us or look after Lexi either. So my first week back at work, suddenly Lexi was basically full-time daycare and I was trying to manage my mum's mental health as well as like I couldn't go to the hospital because it was COVID and I couldn't take Lexi there and trying to juggle all of that so basically a shit show but we got through and it's like well it can't get harder than that surely (laughs) so and but then moving over here with no friends and nothing else she was she relied a lot on me and I found that really challenging when I'm trying to build my own life as a mum and work out my own identity, try and balance work and my, my daughter and everything else. And yeah, so that was really, really, really challenging. But now that she's managed to get out and she's made a couple of friends, she's less high maintenance, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I've also done a lot of work with psychologists, which I guess helps our relationship that I don't take what she's saying personally. It frustrates me no end, a lot of it. Um, but I guess I'm more empathetic and I feel sorry for her for why she thinks the way she does. I do worry sometimes about the things she says and kind of catastrophizes a lot of things and uses very strong language that I don't really want around my daughter mm-hmm. and also her body perception and things like that, that I realize has given me a lot of issues with food. I don't want pasta on. So yeah, it's a bit of a battle. I wish that she would get some help, but she won't. <laughs> so her sister has and has found really good things from it but I think she's just too old and stuck in her ways and Uh, but does she give you some support in terms of childcare? so she has Lexi two days a week and then she's at daycare three days which is great and it's getting to the point now as Lexi's getting older though that she's really struggling with those full days so I don't know if that's going to be maintainable going forward and um, it definitely couldn't be a situation where she could have her during the day and then at night as well. So mm-hmm. I, yeah. there was a, I found that my mum struggled at three and now Daisy's nearly five. It, it's got easier again. There's just that sort of like little middle right. period where they're quite challenging. And then 
it sort of settles down again and and hopefully from now on they get easier um to allow that because my mum also it's a lot when when it's a full day but luckily Daisy's in school now so it's only half past yeah. two onwards so it makes it a bit easier then and so, so two years to go then yay <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> what would you say um the hardest challenges have been for you particularly well do you think any of them specifically are solo parenting challenges or just challenges in general yeah I think for me the most challenging time is actually at the moment and um, we went to New Zealand at the end of October and since then her sleep has been a bit of a disaster but add to that on Christmas I sent all the dummies to the elves at Santa's house so we lost the dummy she started climbing out of her cot, so I've taken the front of her cot, so she's now in a technically big girl bed that she can get out of, and we're just doing potty training. Oh Plus my she goodness. won't sleep, so there's a Everyone lot going on for her. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, being stuck inside with her for three days straight, doing potty training, and then her not going to sleep. She doesn't nap either. That's probably the hardest time, and I've, I'm not loving some of my mumming at the moment, let's put it that way, because can get very frustrated and you don't have anyone that can tap in and just give you five minutes to have by yourself. Like even if you try to go to the toilet for five minutes, Pete, she just comes in and just, they don't get it. They just want you. They're very clingy. And yeah, that's probably the, the hardest thing that you have no one that you can just hand her off to if you are having a moment. <laughs> so, but up until this point, I don't feel like there has been any real hard moments. I would love a second income. Obviously that would be handy. But I think the fact that I get to decide how everything is and it's just the two of us, the environment at home is so calm, whereas I know in hindsight, had I stayed with my ex, it wouldn't be like that. Like there would have been quite a bit of tension and fighting. We wouldn't have agreed on a lot of the parenting, but now I just get to make the decisions. And I think that helps so much. And she's in general, a really happy and really social smart kid. So whatever I'm doing is working. And um, but yeah, it's lovely seeing her with other families, but I see the exhausted mums at daycare. And I think a lot of that is because once they get the kids to bed, then they have to entertain the husband, which I don't have to do. So if I'm having a bad day, I can just go to bed or I can just completely zone out with, you know, binge watch friends or something. I, it doesn't matter. So that gives me that downtime. I've also started getting up at 5am as well. So I make sure that I'm getting a couple of hours of me time every day. Because I found that that makes such a difference for my mental health and my um, resilience to be able to cope when she isn't leaping how I would like her to. <laughs> what time do you go to bed to be able to get up at five? Uh, I try to be in bed by 10. Right. Lately, she's been pushing the boundaries that it's kind of like after 11. And then I haven't been getting up at five over holidays. And I think that's making a massive difference to my resilience as well. So come tomorrow, I'll be getting up at five and try and get back into those really good habits. I've taken another another day's leave. So we're recording this at the end of the Christmas holidays um, tomorrow because after four days of potty training, I just need a day to myself to regroup mentally before I get back into the work year. So yeah, just being really aware of what, what helps you get your energy back, I think is really important as a solo parent. Yeah. One of the hardest times I ever went through was when I took the dummy away from Daisy. And I actually can't remember exactly how old she was, but older than I would have liked because I kept yeah. 
off because I was scared. Um, and you hear so many people say, oh yeah, we took the dummy and then two days later, everything was fine. For me, really, I would say it was about three or four months and it yeah. seemed fine after two or three days. But but there was a lot of other things, which in hindsight, I'm sure were related to the dummy. It's one of the biggest regrets I've had. I feel like I used the dummy so much to stop like her emotions. And so she didn't know how to deal with her emotions. And so all I was seeing was her learning how to deal with her emotions that I had sort of prevented her from doing with the dummy. So that was quite a big regret of mine. But it the, it was really hard for a couple of months and I think it was quite related to that. I think in hindsight, that's what a lot of my the sleep issues are currently related to. But it's also doing so much at once as well. And I'm like, do you know what? If she's going to have the iPad for three hours a night, but it, it relaxes her and she's not in my grill and I can you know have some time to myself, then maybe that's what we do for now while she's processing everything else. Yeah. yeah. And there's an advantage of just getting it all out of the way at once as well isn't it but you we've also that's the other thing the fairy tale side of things how we perceive being mothers as well because that's you know like we shouldn't give the ipad we shouldn't do this like you know and it, and then it there's a lot of pressure on you isn't there and you put so much pressure on yourself like you're judging yourself for giving her the ipad because you think that other people would be judging you and you don't think you should be doing it but trying to be kinder to ourselves which i'm not good at in the slightest so it's something i'm really working on and say, you know what, if this is what it's going to take to get through the next few months. So last night she was on the iPad for three hours, probably in bed. And I hated it, but I had three hours to myself. And that really helped. We still had a battle when it time came time to go to sleep. But I still had had that time to just unwind. And after being together all day and I hadn't got up at five and had my time, it was just what needed to be done. So I'm, I'm trying to be kinder to myself this year. I think... Getting up at five, I love. Um, that's, you know, before children, that was also something I used to do. Um, and it's really interesting because one of the things that I really struggle with is Daisy's been waking up really early. And it's not the time that she's waking up because I am a morning person and probably I would be getting up about six, half six. And when she's not here, I do. It's the fact that you're going on someone else's schedule and they're like, get up, get up, get up, get up. So maybe yeah. I should do what you're doing and get up before she gets up um, so that I'm getting up still on my own schedule rather than hers because it's so hard getting with someone else telling you you must get up right now. And they're so urgent as well. It's got to be right now. I'm like, just give me a minute, please. Just one minute to open my eyes. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't normally wake up before seven. So I'm lucky. So I normally get a quality two hours to myself. By the times that she does, I'm just like, this is my time. Why, why are you here? No, I do this on purpose. I've learned to be a morning person just for this. Don't ruin my me time. So hard. What do you do in those two hours? And so most of what I've been doing over the last year is working on my podcast or my book or my other passion projects. I will never do my actual day job during that time. This is just for my creativity. But this year I'm trying to put my health more of a focus as well. So I'm going to try and prioritize doing exercise in that time. And then with the time that's left over, I can do the work on the passion projects. So yeah, I, the, the exercise and the, the healthy habits have kind of gone off the wayside with working full time and everything. So I need to put that back into priority. 
there's only so many things you can do in a, in a certain amount. Of I know. <laughs> Hopefully she'll start yeah. sleeping earlier as well and you'll get a little bit of the evening as well, which, yeah. um, which will help. What would you say the most positive experiences have been for you? You actually said that up until now you haven't really had many challenges, so that's amazing. But no. what specifically about solo parenthood? Um, you've mentioned a couple. I think I just really love the fact that it's just the two of us and we have such a special little bond together. She's absolutely just a mini me. But I especially love when we go new places and just seeing the awe on her face and learning new things. She's got so much more vocal lately as well. So we can actually have proper conversations, which is which is game changing and really different. Um, I'm sure it will start getting to the why, why, why soon. At the moment, it's mummy, 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 mummy. Um, but also just that feeling that you are their whole world and like nothing could ever make you feel like that until you've had a child. You just don't understand it. Like I think so much we try to be that for another person with a partner, but you never are, but you are actually the whole world to this little person and it's just incredible. Um, really loved Christmas that we just had. So she was just past two and a half then, so she understood Santa and just so excited. I went way overboard with all her presents. Um. <laughs> But also just seeing her just grow and develop and the pride that she's taking in what she's doing. So she started dancing last year and she was in a concert, which was the cutest thing I have ever seen. And then they got medals at the end. And afterwards, everyone was like, my gosh, was that your daughter? Because they called out the fact that she was the youngest in the concert and she'd done so well. And oh, Just little things like that. And the first time I was allowed to sit in the room when they had their dancing, because normally parents aren't allowed. I had to not cry in public because I was just like, I was just sitting there going so proud of her because she was concentrating so hard, whereas everyone else was running off to their parents. And I was like, this almost didn't happen. You know, if I hadn't taken this on myself, I would not be sitting here now. And I think my life is just so much easier without a partner currently. I don't feel like I'm missing it. Sure. It would be nice to maybe have a special friend occasionally, um, but I don't miss it. There's no one that's been enough in my life that's made me realize, you know, what it could be, I guess. I feel exactly the same in terms of I would like to meet someone, but everything is so easy. I feel so content. Mm -hmm. There's no drama. You can do what you want with your time. It is, it does get to a point where you think, how would I fit somebody into this? And I, I suppose if you meet the right person, you 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 will, you'll make it happen. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's very nice to feel so content with how things are, I think, isn't it? Yeah. And it's interesting, like I used to do goals every year and majority of my goals pre this were always about getting a relationship, getting engaged, getting a whatever. That hasn't come up in the slightest anymore. I just don't even think about it, which is... No weird. I used to go to catch up with for drinks with people and the whole time I wouldn't be present in the conversation. I would just be scouting the room to see if there were any potential eligible bachelors. And now it's just like, no, if I'm here without a child and can actually have a proper conversation, not a, I wouldn't even say half a conversation, third a conversation normally if she's around, then I want to be completely present and listening to what you say. So yeah, he will be pretty amazing when he comes along, I have to say. Yeah, I did well. love a quote. Um that one of my podcast guests said that was, you know, you can find true love at any age, but there's a time limit on becoming a mother. So I'm still hopeful. It would just not be quite the way I thought it would be. So, you know. 
100%. Now, now that I've done it, I couldn't imagine it any other way. So, And you have written a book. What led you to writing the book and tell us a little bit about it? And um, so I guess I've always kind of enjoyed writing. When I was about 11, I won a couple of awards in like the Sunday paper, I think a poem and a little short story, but never really did anything with it. Um, I think I've started my memoir about 20 to 30 times and just haven't gone anywhere. And then I just had an idea to do like a donor conception story, but looking at it more from a lens of how great my mum was to be brave and embark on it rather than, you know, I was conceived with a sperm and an egg and whatever else, but that's not what what, um, ended up happening. What I ended up writing is something called My Perfect Family, and it just shows 12 different kids in different family constructs, and it's just helping to normalize the language associated with donor conception. So there's families in there that have got divorced parents, that are widowed, that are same-sex, and there's a solo mum in there. There's multi-generational, there's everything. I've tried to make it really inclusive and diverse, but pretty authentic with it. But what I, my, my dream result is that as a result, kids will say, oh, Lexi doesn't have a daddy, she has a donor, and then carry on with whatever they're doing. And it's just like normal language. Because yeah, I think we're growing up in a time now where it will be really accepted, and it's just helping to really normalize it. So I think the target market's probably traditional families, really. So you know, if little Sally comes to school and she's got two dads, how do I explain that to my kids? Here's a book for you. One of the other things I put in it is a double-page family tree spread, where the center of the tree is the child, and if all the branches come off of that, so rather than the linear approach that just doesn't work for our families or a lot of other families it's making you're the center and then you can fill in the boxes with who your family is could be your friends could be your family could even be your pets so yeah really proud of it waiting for my stock to arrive and this hopefully this week or next (laughs) okay because as you're saying this I'm just thinking this would be so good for schools still because lots of schools do a traditional family tree and that would just be such a nice way if they still wanted to do it to think about doing it differently but also because um particularly Daisy School is really good at talking about different family forms but it would be quite good to have um a book that helped them do that so um that could be a really great place to to see it to help like you say everybody all families have the conversation because the one thing that I found is that some children really insist about how a family needs to look because that's all they know so they only know families with a mummy and a daddy and so they're like but you must have a daddy in your family because everybody's got a daddy in your family and then you Mm. need kind of help the parents help them explain that that isn't necessarily the way and actually the more resources that there are to do that I think the better so it'll be great I think the term donor actually scares a lot of traditional families as well like they don't know how to use it they don't know how to refer properly and I guess if you're a traditional family that have had to use a donor because you've had fertility issues you generally don't tell the children about that so you don't think of it as being a word that you'd want to use in everyday language so it's trying to really bring that to the forefront of just you know some people don't have daddies they have donors or they have two mummies so they had to use a donor or they've got two daddies so they had to use a surrogate and a donor and just making those words just part of everyday life because there's going to be more and more families like that I mean we're growing our kids are growing up in a fantastic inclusive time to be able to do that that I think they'll be really accepting of it so it's just there isn't a book that I've seen like this I've seen other books where lots of different families are represented but they're not 
the the language isn't there and it's more that they're in pictures about other things and it's just you can see them but it's not talking about this family has two mummies they used a donor and they're making the kids just be like everyone else so it's like doesn't matter how your family's made up all families are perfect no matter what and just all kids love the same things they love cooking or jumping on the trampoline or you know going to the beach doesn't matter that they've got two daddies that's that's why they've got it so yeah so pretty proud of it um and it comes pre-orders are open now so by the time the podcast is on we should have stock and be able to send it out so brilliant we'll share the link to where you can get that because I think I've not heard of anything like that before actually like you say there's the donor conception ones there's the diverse family ones but this is almost like a bit of a merge of those two in a a different way so that will be great for people and what would you say are the biggest things you'd like to see change is there anything that you would like to see you know differently for the next generation of people sort of dating and thinking about parenthood what do you think needs to be different I think it's just an acceptance that families can come in all different ways and shapes and sizes and all that matters is that people are happy love is love at the end of the day isn't it and I think you know and I just think by the when they grow up they won't even think anything marriage probably won't even be a thing that happens anymore they'll be so fluid I think monogamy is kind of on the way out and it would just be like for this phase of my life you're the right person for me for this phase I'm happy being by myself and if I want to have children I'll find a way that works for me at the time to have that whether that's with a partner or not yeah it's so true I, I also was wondering that and speaking to younger people who were dating who were like no I'm not just dating one person you're like all right um, <laughs> it seems to really be changing in terms of yeah I don't think there's so much of a view as one person forever with the younger generation yeah. like you say maybe it's just more for a time and saying that I do really want to get married again I love the whole wedding yeah. thing but that's just me yeah <laughs> the fairy tale still there a little bit yeah I think one of the things that will help is getting more stories more widely into media so I've read an amazing book um, I'm interviewing the author actually later this month Hush by Kate Maxwell and it the lead character is a solo mum and um who's used a sperm donor and I've it's the first novel I've ever read and and the author mm. is a solo mum so I'm interested to interview her to see where the story came from but it really covers well you know the realities of being a new mum and finding it hard and um wondering whether you've made the right decision um and then going on to be like no this is absolutely the right decision it's just that new motherhood can be hard and um I think the more stories films books like positive language in the media that that changes this happily ever after can only be in this way will just really help um because even when you think of most of the Hollywood movies that have the lead character as being a solo mom that always ends up a love story at the end that somehow she meets someone where she's pregnant or she falls in love with the donor or that Jennifer Addison one where he accidentally puts his sperm in and then they get together and yeah, yeah. so unrealistic that, that's what I loved about this novel you know it's it's not like the it is a happily ever after but not in the traditional way so um I was going to be so upset if if it had, if it had that like fairy tale ending um but but 
luckily um it was a it, I don't want to give a spoiler but it was a really good ending that that wasn't you know um living happily ever after from meeting a guy um because yeah there's such I think there's just such a temptation I think everybody wants that to be the the final ending and so it's um it's nice when there's a different equally positive ending but it's against the norm sort of thing well, I don't think there's any way that you could have told me or probably up until this age that I could have been happy by myself <laughs> so that always needed the validation and that other person but yeah I mean I'm not by myself I have a two and a half year old but I don't think I've ever been happier or more comfortable in my own skin since becoming a mum no, but I think that's a really important point to make because I feel exactly the same and felt exactly the same. I couldn't imagine a time. I think both of us are saying we really felt like we wanted to meet someone. We've worked through that. Now we're very happy on our own. I think that's a really important point to make because there's probably lots of people who think, oh, but I'll just never be as happy. I never feel um, like that. Yeah. And 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 actually there's proof that you can change your thoughts and that probably some of that has come from the conditioning of society. And oh, um absolutely totally possible to work through it. So yeah, I think that's a really yeah. good point. Well, it's lovely to chat to you. Um, it was lovely to hear your story. I will share the link to your book so people can access that. I'll also share the link to the podcast in case people haven't listened to that. And um, yeah, I'm just going to get off the podcast recording and just see how much a flight to Fiji will cost. <laughs> Fantastic. And I'll send you a code, Mel, that you can give to your listeners as well if they want to buy the book and get a special price. That would be fantastic. Thanks, Alicia. Thanks, Mel. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast and would like to access bonus episodes featuring donor-conceived people, psychologists and other experts, you can head over to my website, thestalkandi.com, to subscribe to the Thriving Solo membership. For $2.99 a month, you'll get access to members-only episodes as well as the entire back catalogue. You'll get access to useful resources and a monthly community call which are a great opportunity to meet people in a similar situation to you. This month's Thriving Solo bonus episode is with Jeremy, who's a donor-conceived person who was raised by a solo parent, sharing his lived experiences and advice for the solo parent community. On my website, you can also find more information about the coaching I offer. You can also follow me on Instagram at thestalkandi.com to get an insight into the realities of solo parent life.